0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Michael Scherer. Typee by Herman Melville. Chapter 19. The knowledge I had now obtained as to the intention of the savages deeply affected me. Marno, I perceived, was a man who, by reason of his superior requirements, and the knowledge he possessed of the events which were taking place in the different bays of the island, was held in no little estimation by the inhabitants of the valley. He had been received with the most cordial welcome and respect. The natives had hung upon the accents of his voice, and had manifested the highest gratification at being individually noticed by him. And yet, despite all this, A few words, urged in my behalf, with the intent of obtaining my release from captivity, had sufficed not only to banish all harmony and goodwill, but, if I could believe what he told me, had gone nigh to endanger his own personal safety. How strongly rooted, then, must be the determination of the Taipees with regard to me, and how suddenly could they display the strangest passions the mere suggestion of my departure had estranged from me, for the time at least, Mahefi, who was the most influential of all the chiefs, and who had previously exhibited so many instances of his friendly sentiments. The rest of the natives had likewise evinced their strong repugnance to my wishes, and even Corrie Cori himself seemed to share in the general disapprobation bestowed upon me. In vain I racked my invention to find out some motive for the strange desire these people manifested to retain me among them, but I could discover none. But however this might be, the scene which had just occurred admonished me of the danger of trifling with the wayward and passionate spirits against whom it was vain to struggle, and might even be fatal to do so. My only hope— was to induce the natives to believe that I was reconciled to my detention in the valley, and by assuming a tranquil and cheerful demeanour, to allay the suspicions which I had so unfortunately aroused. Their confidence revived, they might in a short time remit in some degree their watchfulness over my movements, and I should then be the better enabled to avail myself of any opportunity which presented itself for escape. I determined, therefore, to make the best of a bad bargain, "'and to bear up manfully against whatever might betide. "'In this endeavor, I succeeded beyond my own expectations. "'At the period of Marnu's visit, I had been in the valley, "'as nearly as I could conjecture, some two months. "'Although not completely recovered from my strange illness "'which still lingered about me, I was free from pain "'and able to take exercise. "'In short, I had every reason to anticipate a perfect recovery.' Freed from apprehensions on this point, and resolved to regard the future without flinching, I flung myself anew into all the social pleasures of the valley, and sought to bury all regrets and all remembrances of my previous existence in the wild enjoyments it afforded. In my various wanderings through the vale, and as I became better acquainted with the character of its inhabitants, I was more and more struck with the light-hearted joyousness that everywhere prevailed— The minds of these simple savages, unoccupied by matters of graver moment, were capable of deriving the utmost delight from circumstances which would have passed unnoticed in more intelligent communities. All their enjoyment, indeed, seemed to be made up of the little trifling incidents of the passing hour. But these diminutive items swelled altogether to an amount of happiness seldom experienced by more enlightened individuals." whose pleasures are drawn from more elevated but rarer sources. What community, for instance, of refined and intellectual mortals would derive the least satisfaction from shooting pop-guns? The mere supposition of such a thing being possible would excite their indignation. And yet the whole population of Taipei did little else for ten days but occupy themselves with that childish amusement, fairly screaming, too, with the delight it afforded them. One day I was frolicking with a little spirited urchin, some six years old, who chased me with a piece of bamboo about three feet long, with which he occasionally belabored me. Seizing the stick from him, the idea happened to suggest itself that I might make for the youngster, out of the slender tube, one of those nursery muskets, with which I had sometimes seen children playing, Accordingly, with my knife, I made two parallel slits in the cane, several inches in length, and cutting loose at one end, the elastic strip between them, bent it back and slipped the point into a little notch made for the purpose. Any small substance placed against this would be projected with considerable force through the tube, by merely springing the bent strip out of the notch." "'Had I possessed the remotest idea of the sensation "'this piece of ordinance was destined to produce, "'I should certainly have taken out a patent for the invention.' "'The boy scampered away with it, half-delirious with ecstasy, "'and in twenty minutes afterwards "'I might have been seen surrounded by a noisy crowd, "'venerable old graybeards, responsible fathers of families, "'valiant warriors, matrons, young men, girls and children.' "'all holding in their hands bits of bamboo, "'and each clamoring to be served first. "'For three or four hours I was engaged "'in manufacturing pop-guns, "'but at last made over my goodwill and interest "'in the concern to a lad of remarkable quick parts, "'whom I soon initiated into the art and mystery. "'Pop, pop, 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 "'now resounded all over the valley. duels, skirmishes, pitched battles,' and general engagements were to be seen on every side. Here, as you walked along a path which led through a thicket, you fell into a cunningly laid ambush, and became a target for a body of musketeers, whose tattooed limbs you could just see peeping into view through the foliage. There you were assailed by the intrepid garrison of a house, who leveled their bamboo rifles at you from between the upright canes which composed its sides. "'Farther on you were fired upon by a detachment of sharpshooters, "'mounted upon the top of a pee "'Pop, pop, pop, pop! "'Green guavas, seeds, and berries were flying about in every direction, "'and during this dangerous state of affairs I was half afraid "'that like the man and his brazen bull, "'I should fall a victim to my own ingenuity. "'Like everything else, however, the excitement gradually wore away.' "'though ever after occasional pop-guns might be heard at all hours of the day. "'It was towards the close of the popgun war "'that I was infinitely diverted with a strange freak of marheos. "'I had worn, when I quitted the ship, a pair of thick pumps, "'which, from the rough usage they had received in scaling precipices "'and sliding down gorges, were so dilapidated as to be altogether unfit for use.' so at least would have thought the generality of people, and so they most certainly were when considered in the light of shoes. But things unserviceable in one way may with advantage be applied in another, that is, if one have genius enough for the purpose. This genius Marheyo possessed in a superlative degree, as he abundantly evinced by the use to which he put these sorely bruised and battered old shoes. Every article... However trivial which belonged to me, the natives appeared to regard as sacred, and I observed that for several days after becoming an inmate of the house, my pumps were suffered to remain untouched where I had first happened to throw them. I remembered, however, that after a while I had missed them from their accustomed place, but the matter gave me no concern, supposing that Tenor, like any other tidy housewife, having come across them in some of her domestic occupations, "'had pitched the useless things out of the house. "'But I was soon undeceived. "'One day I observed old Marheyo bustling about me "'with unusual activity, "'and to such a degree as almost to supersede Cori Cori "'in the functions of his office. "'One moment he volunteered to trot off with me "'on his back to the stream, "'and when I refused, no ways daunted by the repulse, "'he continued to frisk about me like a superannuated house-dog.' I could not for the life of me conjecture what possessed the old gentleman, until all at once, availing himself of the temporary absence of the household, he went through a variety of uncouth gestures, pointing eagerly down to my feet, and then up to a little bundle, which swung from the ridge-pole overhead. At last I caught a faint idea of his meaning, and motioned him to lower the package. He executed the order on the twinkling of an eye, and unrolling a piece of tapa, displayed to my astonished gaze the identical pumps which I thought had been destroyed long before. I immediately comprehended his desires, and very generously gave him the shoes, which had become quite moldy, wondering for what earthly purpose he could want them. The same afternoon I described the venerable warrior approaching the house with a slow, stately gait, earrings in ears, and spear in hand, with this highly ornamental pair of shoes suspended from his neck by a strip of bark and swinging backwards and forwards on his capacious chest. In the gala costume of the tasteful Marheyo, these calfskin pendants ever after formed the most striking feature. But to turn to something a little more important, although the whole existence of the inhabitants of the valley seemed to pass away exempt from toil, Yet there were some light employments, which, although amusing rather than laborious as occupations, contributed to their comfort and luxury. Among these, the most important was the manufacture of the native cloth, Tapa, so well known under various modifications throughout the whole Polynesian archipelago. As is generally understood, this useful and sometimes elegant article is fabricated from the bark of different trees but as I believe that no description of its manufacture has ever been given, I shall state what I know regarding it. In the manufacture of the beautiful white tapa generally worn on the Marquesan Islands, the preliminary operation consists in gathering a certain quantity of the young branches of the cloth tree. The exterior green bark being pulled off is worthless. There remains a slender, fibrous substance, which is carefully stripped from the stick, "'to which it closely adheres. "'When a sufficient quantity of it has been collected, "'the various strips are enveloped in a covering of large leaves, "'which the natives use precisely as we do wrapping paper, "'and which are secured by a few turns of a line passed round them. "'The package is then laid in the bed of some running stream, "'with a heavy stone placed over it to prevent its being swept away. "'After it has remained for two or three days in this state,' It is drawn out and exposed, for a short time, to the action of the air, every distinct piece being attentively inspected, with a view of ascertaining whether it has yet been sufficiently affected by the operation. This is repeated again and again, until the desired result is obtained. When the substance is in a proper state for the next process, it betrays evidences of incipient decomposition. The fibers are relaxed and softened, and rendered perfectly malleable. The different strips are now extended, one by one, in successive layers upon some smooth surface, generally the prostrate trunk of a coconut tree, and the heap thus formed is subjected, at every new increase, to a moderate beating, with a sort of wooden mallet, leisurely applied. The mallet is made of a hard, heavy wood resembling ebony, is about 12 inches in length and perhaps two in breadth, with a rounded handle at one end, and in shape is the exact counterpart of one of our four-sided razor strops. The flat surfaces of the implement are marked with shallow parallel indentations, varying in depth on the different sides, so as to be adapted to the several stages of the operation. These marks produce the corduroy sort of stripes discernible in the tapa in its finished state. After being beaten in the manner I have described, the material soon becomes blended in one mass, which, moistened occasionally with water, is at intervals hammered out by a kind of gold-beating process to any degree of thinness required. In this way, the cloth is easily made to vary in strength and thickness, so as to suit the numerous purposes to which it is applied. When the operation last described has been concluded... The new-made tapa is spread out on the grass to bleach and dry, and soon becomes of a dazzling whiteness. Sometimes, in the first stages of the manufacture, the substance is impregnated with a vegetable juice, which gives it a permanent color. A rich brown and a bright yellow are occasionally seen, but the simple taste of the Taipei people inclines them to prefer the natural tint. The notable wife of Kamehameha, the renowned conqueror and king of the Sandwich Islands, used to pride herself in the skill she displayed in dyeing her tapa with contrasting colors disposed in regular figures, and, in the midst of the innovations of the times, was regarded, towards the decline of her life, as a lady of the old school, clinging, as she did, to the national cloth in preference to the frippery of the European calicoes. But the art of printing the tapa is unknown upon the Marquesan Islands. In passing along the valley, I was often attracted by the noise of the mallet, which, when employed in the manufacture of the cloth, produces at every stroke of its hard heavy wood a clear ringing and musical sound, capable of being heard at a great distance. When several of these implements happen to be in operation at the same time, and near one another, the effect upon the ear of a person, at a little distance, is really charming.